We're in week four of our series of the nine personality types, titled What's Your Number? Trying to discover how God uh, has uniquely designed us and how we can grow deeper in our love uh, for others, our love for God, our love for ourselves. And so we want to confront those things in our lives uh, that really Jesus wants to heal in the deep recesses of our souls. And so over the past few weeks, I've discovered a a great deal about myself and my relationship with God and then relationship with others, especially those who are closest to me uh, through this series. Um, The Enneagram tool reminds me of a quote by Eugene Peterson. He says, in his love, Jesus diagnoses what is unique in us. He understands the precise ways in which things have gone wrong and the diagnosis, the particular aberrations that have seeped into our lives. And then he uh, mercilessly saves us from them. Jesus loves, awakens our sleeping parts of our lives to the colors and delights of eternal life. This waking is not without pain or difficulty or struggle. But being awake requires more energy than sleeping. So this is a possibility of more pain. But sleeping people don't suffer. But those who are awakened in Christ become alive in him. I think many times we can be asleep at the wheel of our lives and and stop growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ or become stagnant or in our relationship with each other and our relationship with ourselves. It includes knowing what goes on in those deep places of our hearts. And sometimes there's pain and there's struggle when we work with this in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and we begin to sense that God is healing us and His will and purpose is to heal our lives completely. And so God wants us to move into a place of flourishing where we are joy-filled, love-filled, and peace-filled. Today we're going to look at type 4 of the Enneagram known as the individualist, sometimes referred to as the creative type of the romanticist, or those who are, I guess, creativitists. No, that's not a word. Anyway, just to put that aside. But it's an amazing, unique type of personality. Creative, emotional connections, contributions to businesses, communities, and even churches can experience the incredible personality of individuals gifted with this personality. You know it when you see it. I know that for a fact. These folks have wonderful uniqueness, expression of their gifts. It brings forth emotion. It's been said that fours don't have feelings. They are their feelings. They truly reflect God's uniqueness and want to be noticed for that uniqueness. Therefore, they are motivated by significance. Individualists desire most to share their creativity uh, with other people as a way of expressing their love toward people. Their gift to the world is God's creativity. Fours are not only in tune with their own feelings and emotion, but they can pick up and tune into people's emotions and become uh, empathetic to those emotions. It's very powerful to see. They feel unique, special, and sometimes they feel like those, sometimes that differences and complexity make them almost impossible at times to understand. On one hand, feeling unique uh, and different can be a wonderful feeling 
like you really are something special, and fours have something to offer to this world. But on the other hand, fours can experience uh, being maybe too different, and it can maybe lead to feeling odd or melancholy, which can lead to depression. And they want to be understood in so many ways, intricately. And so these personality types sometimes feel weaknesses and fears and longings. And they fear being seen as mundane, ordinary, or going unnoticed. They avoid being basic. They long to hear the words like this. There's something special about you, very special, that absolutely makes you unique and one of a kind. Fours at their best, they live out what they're feeling when they do the things that give them passion and purpose in their lives and it overflows into the lives of other people. They love to be free to express themselves and communicate in unique ways and creative ways. But fours at their worst, when they're afraid that maybe others will see them as unoriginal or mundane. When they're ignored and not asked to contribute, it really weighs heavy upon their lives. They have these strong internal feelings, and it will often come out externally in unhealthy ways. And they can go to places that aren't healthy at all, because they're trying to fit in and living in that mundane can, can put them outside of the will of God and his purpose and plan for their lives in freedom. And their core sin is envy and coveting. Some number fours include Michelangelo, Jim Morrison, Michael Jackson, Johnny Depp, Vincent Van Gogh, the Trappist monk, who's one of my favorites, uh, Thomas Merton. And then I read that the music of Pink Floyd and the Moody Blues is all about fours. And that's cool. The statistics say that the individualists are the lowest percentage of the population. We're going to look at uh, number four on our staff. Laura Berger's right back there. We're going to roll tape and check, uh, check out what Laura has to say. So, Laura, another name for this type of the Enneagram individualist is intense creative. How does that fit you? I can tell you I am not a painter, I'm not a sculptor, I'm not a musician, um, although I can make a mean cupcake. Um, Innovative-wise, I think it's really been exemplified in the ways that we do outreach. I've been on staff for 18 years, and I have seen a lot of growth and a lot of change. I also see that communities change, and the way that we have to meet those changing needs also has to change. So I think that's where the innovative part has come into play. Laura, what has resonated with you the most about being a type four? Well, it was a bit disheartening to learn that envy is the sin associated with individualism. However, I can see that it plays into my biggest fear of not being seen or heard because You know, I oftentimes see what others have or the way others think or the way others do things. And it it leads me to feel like I'm lacking, that I don't have much to offer. Um, So I think that's been one of my biggest takeaways 
from learning about this type. What is your deepest fear? The feeling or fear of not being seen or heard. What is your greatest need? For people to see me as God sees me, as unique and special. How does the type four individualist impact your relationship with Christ? Well, I think it's in just the short time I've been getting to know my type, it has helped me grow closer to Christ. You know, he made me unique and special, and he does not make mistakes. So it has helped me become more fully reliant on him rather than what's around me. Wow, that's awesome. I think we ought to give it up for Laura, man. She's awesome. She's amazing. I want to tell you a little bit about, she's our director of caring and outreach. Uh, she's so amazingly empathetic, and she connects people to love and care and healing of Jesus Christ. She brings to our staff just creative ways of connecting to God in prayer, and then just other connectedness exercises that we do on staff. And uh, she leads a team of people at Salem, and I've been, we've been going out for the past couple months while this uh, COVID thing's going on, and we've been passing out groceries and you can just see her leaning into that and embracing people, even though we are socially distanced. And I'm just so glad to uh, be a colleague of hers and be on staff with her. Um, I also uh, spent six years with a lady named Mrs. Paith, and she was my art teacher from middle school all the way through my senior year in high school. And she was a number four. Um, she was just absolutely creative. I always used to say she was totally rad. Uh, she brought out creativity in me that I have never knew before. And you could see some of my artwork from uh, high school, and you'll realize, Jonathan did that? Are you serious? And she would let us bring our cassette tapes uh, to art, art class, and we would, she would do her, uh, her lesson, and then we'd listen to the music, and then we got to go get up for a couple minutes and talk about the music that we brought. Um, she was kind of, uh, the only way I could describe her is she was just a, a cool hippie type. And I, I love Mrs. Paith. She's one of my favorite teachers. So who in the Bible represents the character of the individualist? I don't, I don't know if you can guess. But think about the Psalms. Think about David, King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. And if you checked David's pulse... It would beat to the rhythm of the love of God. He had a deep, passionate emotion for God. He played multiple instruments. And before he was a king, he was a shepherd. And in the fields alone, he would creatively just write and sing unto the Lord in nature. He did things in very unique ways. Before he was, uh, like I said, before he was king, he, he did these kind of cool things, and you see it in his activity later on as king. Remember when he went to kill Goliath? King Saul tried to get uh, David to put the armor on. It was too big, so David just went at him because he insulted his people and his God. And what did he do? Slingshot, five smooth stones, just totally, bam, right in the forehead. Goliath drops, King David, famous. Think about this. When they brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, he's just filled with joyous emotion. And he danced in the streets before God. 
And you can picture it in his mind's eye. He was wearing a light uh, uh, linen ephod, and David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Lord, uh, or the ark, with shouts and the sounds of trumpet as they entered the city of David. You see, uh, uh, King Saul's daughter, uh, and she was b- before uh, King David's wife, she, was, she thought it was horrific and undignified for this, this king to be doing this. And David wasn't dancing for the people that he was going to serve as king or serving as king. He was dancing to praise God in celebration of that victory. His audience was God. You see, fours connect deeply and emotionally with God. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 40, and you can see David's creativity when you combine, combine it with a number, another number four type, Eugene Peterson. Look at this. Great things happen. Look at this. Or you close your eyes and listen to this. I waited and I waited and I waited for God, and at last he looked up. He finally listened. He lifted me up out of the ditch. He pulled me from the deep mud. He stood me up on solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, the praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this, and they enter into the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your back on the world, sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I started talking about you, telling what I know. And quickly I run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Can you feel it? The intensity of that emotion from both of these guys. You see, they're gifts. And they're gifts entwined and released. Unfortunately, a part of the story today is looking at King David when he got into the unhealthy parts of his life. In the mundane And he began to envy and covet. David went from being famous to infamous. Let's look at 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. I'm going to stop there for a little bit. Do you see that word normally? You see, fours don't want to be mundane. They're, they want to be different in some ways, and they don't want to be put in a d- box. And so David did not normally do what kings do. So late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed. He was walking around the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. He was told that it was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. You see, fours know and they see beauty. And Bathsheba had unusual beauty. And King David, he started getting envious and coveting her. And he asked for her to be brought to him. And you see, trouble came when David could not keep his feelings and passions under the rule of God and balance that with his mind, with his morals, and with his faith. 
And this was one piece that he struggled with, and it made him do unspeakable things. David abuses his power. He sends for her. He most likely forced her to do this. In fact, I think he did. And it's not a pretty scene. And then she becomes pregnant. The cover-up begins. We see David moving into a false self rather than a true self in God. And he began to make matters worse. And this sin gets, be, gets to be spun even larger and larger. It's something that is just growing that he can't contain. Bathsheba's husband, he's Uriah. He's, he's a Hittite and he's, he's faithful to King David and his army. So David hatches this cover-up plan. He sends for Uriah to come home from the front lines. He asks Uriah how the war is going, how his commanders are, how the strategy is going. And he actually has a plan. It's just kind of a the cover-up. There's a screen. And he wants to send Uriah home so that maybe he would sleep with Bathsheba. And believing that the baby is his. Uriah is faithful. Wonderful soldier. He knows his comrades are out sleeping in the meadows and fighting on the front lines, so he doesn't go to the comfort of his home. David learns that Uriah didn't spend the night at home. So he asks him to stay one more night and continues the deceit. He invites Uriah to dinner at the palace. He gets him drunk, thinking he'll lose his inhibitions and then go and certainly sleep with Bathsheba. And again, we see Uriah's character. He sleeps outside the palace gates out of faithfulness to his king. David can't cover up the sin. So he does something tragic. He sends Uriah back to battle knowing that his command will kill him as he tells Joab to send him to the front lines and he dies in battle. And then David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. It's so tangled in sin, adultery, cover-up, lying, murder. True and authentic David would have been leading his army creatively and boldly for God. Instead, David follows his passion and feelings, his desire, and it leads to envy and coveting. And God won't let that go unpunished. The man after God's own heart goes astray, but God wants David back. So God is faithful and sends Nathan the prophet to share a word with David. Let's take a look at this in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. A rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew up with it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And now the traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come for him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who he had come to. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan as surely as the Lord lives the man who did this must die he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity and then Nathan said to Daniel or David you are the man this is what the Lord God of Israel says I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul 
Do you notice that the creative narrative that Nathan used to respond to this coveting? And it fits the personality of David. It cuts to his heart. It brings forth emotion from David, and you can see the passion. He said, this man must die. He must pay for the lamb four times. But bam, you're that guy, David. And then we have this writing, and you can read it, Psalm 51. It's in the Bible. I, I, I dig it out this afternoon. And you can read this confession, this pouring out of emotion from David as he repented of his sin. He recognized it when he was confronted with it. And he immediately asked for God to cleanse him, to forgive him. Although the consequences of sin cannot be removed, God did forgive David, and David continued and came back to be a man after God's own heart. You see, it reminds me of the cleansing power of Jesus Christ that can take place in our lives. God wants to bring us back out of this false self into the true self in him, and it begins with grace. It's a profound song of a person living in grace again. So what are some of the ways that the individualist can grow in that grace? The biblical truth that type four, and, and I think we all need to include in our lives and embrace in our lives is that there's got to be gratitude for everything, even gratitude for the simple things, the mundane that is around us. Shame can come from settling for what is ordinary. And I believe that. I had a buddy that I went to seminary with, and he had this, he had this uh, uh, just a picture on his wall. He said, God, save me from being ordinary. And I think we got to find this, the super ordinary, the extraordinary in the mundane things of life. We have to seek the extraordinary life of Jesus Christ. And that comes through a personal relationship in him where we live and move and we have our being, and we can find our true selves in the midst of our personality. And he allows to us to come to him and live out that freedom in him. The healthy David was leaping in front of the ark as it was being brought back into the city of Jerusalem. He was free to worship. And that freedom can come in that. It's dynamic. And I believe it will take your creativity to amazing places and expressions to the height of blessing others in extraordinary ways. One of my favorite number fours is Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk. Listen to what he wrote. He said, by reading the scriptures, I am so renewed that all nature seems to be renewed around me and with me. The sky seems to be pure, a cooler blue. The trees, a deeper green. The whole world is changed with the glory of God, and I I feel fire and music under my feet. Merton continues, the biggest temptation, the human temptation, is to settle for too little. Next, number fours, it's okay to feel your emotions, but make sure that you don't follow those emotions into something, into a decision. You have to follow your faith and wisdom found in the scriptures and found through the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit. I love this quote by Ian Crone. He says, stop fantasizing about the ideal relationship, career, or community and getting stuck in longing for it. 
Instead, work hard for what's possible and see it through completion. To completion. Don't look for the beauty and meaning only in the extraordinary or unusual, but in the ordinary and simple as well. When the past calls, let it go to voicemail. It has nothing new to say to you. Don't embellish and get swept up in your feelings. And in the words of Jack Cornfield, no emotion is final. You see, we can feel our feelings. But make sure you don't follow those all the time. We can't let our feelings be the driver of life. And I, so, I know some of you Star Wars fans are going, hmm, Yoda. David allowed his passions to overtake his values and morals in that love of God. And he separated from that connection. When he directed his feelings toward God and pursued God, he wrote amazing words and he had expansive treasures to offer to all. We have to name emotions with ourselves, sometimes with a trusted Christian friend as well. If you're number four, think about, think about this example. What if David had a, a trusted friend to talk to about his temptation and those emotions and feelings? Maybe even singularly with Bathsheba. We have to name what we're feeling and bring it out maybe through journaling or talking with a brother and sister in Christ or a counselor. You see, it diminishes the power of that emotion. Number four is you have an internal drive to pursue the unique and extraordinary. Slow down and appreciate how God is revealing his beauty in everyday mundane ordinary, ordinariness of life. Carry it over to people. Help them see what you see. Help them see the beauty of God and creation and the talents that you can pull out of those as you inspire them by your gifts. Next, remember in God you're fearfully and wonderfully made. King David wrote this in Psalm 139, 11 through 14. He says, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. I mentioned it before, embrace that gratitude. Embrace the, your uniqueness. There is no one like you, number fours. <laughs> no one. No one has your fingerprints. And I say that to everybody, because that's true too. No one has your voice. No one has your, you know, what's that in your eye? Cornea, or, you know, you open up doors with your eyes. And no one, you're unique, every one of you. And God sees every one of you, and he understands you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you. And he desires to let his love fill you up to where it's overflowing to fulfill the greatest longings of your heart, which is in the parameters of the will of God. God knit you together, and you are in him. And he wants to give you abundant life and a plan and a purpose in that personality. So live and grow in that grace. And you'll become more like the creative one who gave you eternal life in him. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. I want to pray for us. God, we thank you for uh, just the beauty, the vibrant, the sensitivity of these creative people 
who just beautify our world. May they feel unique and special to the extent that in their differences and perplexity, Lord, that they can find that in you they can be just vibrant and creative and a blessing to us. We thank you for uh, this series. Continue to deepen us, our love for you and our love for one another and our love for ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.